At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we step into the new year, we're turning to the book of James for our message series, Live the Truth. In a culture preaching the power of whatever feels right to you, it's time to set aside positive vibes for a truth you can stand on. Join us as we answer James' call to reject the latest feel-good message for a mature faith. Good morning, everybody. I hope you're ready to hear from God today. Uh, I tell you, this little book of Jonah is so packed full of messages for us today. It's as if, uh, as if God said, you know, there's going to be this church in the 21st century, in this little town of Algonac. What story should I craft for them in the lives of one of my children so they can see how powerful I am and how good it is to follow me? Hmm. I wish now to Jonah, and I'll, I'll call him to some very special purpose. And on it goes, and here we are today. So Jonah chapter 1. Thank you, Bill. I, ho- I hope that, I hope that God's, God's word speaks to you today. I just got a notification. I'm going to silence my cell phone. Not sure why you guys didn't all do that when you came in today. I tell you, Todd, after all these years, you think they silence their phones when they come in. <laughs> Sorry about that. Jonah chapter 1. Hey, is it ever good to be afraid? Yeah, so fear is good, you say. I would assume that's correct, and once we start thinking about it, we would probably say, yeah, it's probably good to be afraid of walking along 696 at 6 p.m. at night. That's not a good idea. If you're trying to do that, you should probably be afraid because maybe that would push you six more feet away from that as you're trying to find a gas station or whatever caused you to do something so silly. Right? You probably should be afraid when you're out in the woods, in the wilderness, and you're hearing some growling around you. Right? That should probably cause some fear. As you're driving through a snowstorm and you're late for your appointment, hopefully fear is causing you to slow down and realize that it's not as important to get to my appointment on time as it is to get to my appointment safely. So fear is good. What about fear in relationships? Is fear good in relationships? I read an article um, this week in the Christianity Today publication. It was written by a man named Glenn, and he told the story of a conversation he had with his dad back when he was 16 years old. His dad took him out to breakfast, and they talked, and dad began uh, telling him how proud he was of him and the decisions he's made in his life and the potential that he had and excitement about his future. And then the conversation became a little serious and intense when dad looked him in his eye and said, you know, son, there's going to be times now, more frequently, when you're out with your friends, and I won't be able to watch you and nor to give you counsel and wisdom. And your friends are going to be starting to pressure you to make some decisions or do some things that you know that uh, I wouldn't counsel. 
And in those times, and you have the decision to make. You're going to have to decide, are you more afraid of your friends or are you more afraid of your dad? And as the author thought back on that, he thought, you know, that conversation helped me prevent some terrible decisions that would have led to catastrophes because I had to think, I think I'm more afraid of my dad. Now, he went on to say that dad never abused me. He wasn't cruel. Dad was kind. He was strong. And he was wise. And so I wasn't afraid of his hurting me. But I was more afraid of failure going against what I believe my dad would want me to do. So is it good to have fear in relationships? Is it, isn't it makes sense that revering the insight of a dad who loves me and has proven his devotion to me over 16 years of my life, isn't it rightfully to revere his insights over a handful of friends that I've been friends with for a few months, a couple years, and maybe eight years from now, I might even not know where they live. Doesn't it make sense to revere the insight of my dad over my friends? So a healthy fear is not a concern of being mistreated. That's not what we're talking about, of fear in relationship, but a reverence of greater wisdom and trustworthiness. So throughout scriptures, we're told then that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So so let's go back to that question. Is it good to have fear in relationship? Well, when scripture says... The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It kind of leads us away from our cultural initial response, right? That would say, no, there can't be fear in relationship. That wait a second. For a person to have reverence for the insight of somebody wiser and devoted to me. Mm. And, And if the scripture says that wisdom begins with fearing God, then maybe it's true that a healthy, reverent fear is a good thing in relationships. Not a fear of mistreatment or abuse, but a reverence of wisdom and trustworthiness. And that's what we see in Jonah chapter 1. In fact, that concept of fear is mentioned over and over and over repeatedly in this little scene that we, that we encounter as the boat taking Jonah towards Tarshish floats and encounters a storm. So let's read together. I'm just going to read the whole story, if that's okay. Last week we started um, this account, and we saw how the prophet Jonah encountered the mercy of God in the lives of, of, of his own life and the lives of others when God calls him to go to the Assyrian Empire, go to one of the capital cities, the capital city of Nineveh, and warn them of God's wrath and call them to repent. Jonah said, I'm not sure I want to go to my enemies and warn them of God's imminent um, punishment. So, in fact, I'll go the other direction. So he found a boat heading the opposite direction, and that's where we left him. 
So let's pick up in verse 4. So the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. And then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the innermost part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let's cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What's your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And the men were exceedingly afraid and said, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And they said to him, What should we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up, hurl me into the sea. And then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. About six times fear is mentioned in that account. Just a quick question to guide our thoughts. Who in the story fears God? Who in the story fears God? And what characteristics of that reverent fear do we see in this story? First of all, we see that people that fear God are people who seek God with their questions. Think of these two groups of characters in this story. There's Jonah, and there's the sailors, or the mariners. So it's clear that Jonah has no interest in seeking God, right? In fact, he's running from him. He thinks he knows God. And he doesn't like what he thinks that he knows. And so he runs, and he hides. And isn't it interesting how the text refers to Jonah Did you notice how God says to Jonah, Jonah, arise and go to Nineveh. So Jonah goes down to Joppa and finds a ship and goes down into the ship. Later it says he went down into the cargo hold and then he went down to sleep. Interesting. I know that many times as we read Jonah, we kind of read it and we quickly read through it. But if you ever read it as a, as a literature professor, 
If you ever dive into the kind of the poetry of it and, and the, the craftsmanship of this book, you would be amazed how Jonah in his writing of this describes in such beautiful, picturesque terms of ex, his experience. Because he says, God told me to get up and go. I decided to go down and go and to flee from the presence of the Lord. What a foolish thought. But it's what you do when you avoid the presence of God. You become foolish. If, if the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, then the disregard of the Lord is the beginning of foolishness. And that's exactly what Jonah did. He went down and began to spiral. You can see even the emotional spiral that begins to take place as he avoids the presence of God. Isn't that just like us when we think we know better than God? Have you ever been there? In any whether a little situation or a big situation, you, you start sensing that God wants you to go a certain way and you realize that's not the way we should go. And so we're going to go this way. So you push God aside. And when you do that, when you begin to step out of obedience, you begin to do that in other areas of your life also. You begin to push him out of this area. You try to hide from God in this area, and then you hide from him in this area. You think you're finding freedom, but in the end, as you look back, when you're down at the bottom, you begin to look around and say, I just walked into prison. And my heart is hurting, my life is hurting, my relationships are hurting, because this is where I go when I try to flee from the presence of the Lord, I go down. Don't ever forget that the God who created you, that knows what brings life to you, he always calls you up. Now, it doesn't mean he calls you into easier experience or he calls you away from difficulties. But when you follow his guidance, know that through the difficulties, and though there are difficulties, he will always call you up. And when you flee from his presence, you will always go down. So there's Jonah, not seeking God, in fact, trying to run from him. And then there's the sailors while he flees, they seek. Now, the fear of the storm, they reach out to all they know, right? They were, they were worshipers of many gods. They, they acknowledged, probably because they traveled through various regions, they had seen the maybe evidence of all these different deities and different cultures worshiping these different deities. And so they started saying, I don't know who we're going to pray to. Just pray to somebody. In fact, pray to everybody. Maybe one of those gods will hear us. Right, So they sought all they knew. And they begged Jonah to do the same. Jonah, you must have a God of some kind. Why don't you pray to that God? Maybe, maybe that's the one that will hear us. And notice how they talked to Jonah. They said to Jonah, Jonah, arise, call out to your God. God. Doesn't that kind of sound a little similar to what God said to them? Jonah, Jonah, arise, go to Nineveh. Now the sailors say, Jonah, arise, call out to God. God uses so many different things to try to capture your attention when you're walking in disobedience. 
but how prone we are to stubbornly say, no, I'm not going to listen to you. So they said to Jonah, Jonah, what do you, what do, you do? Who are you? Where, do you? where do you come from? What's your country? Again, they, they were men that all they knew that different regions had different gods. The, the coastal cities probably had the gods of the sea. So, so maybe it's the god of the sea that did this. They, they knew the people out of the, in the wilderness had a god of the wilderness. So you, maybe we pray to them. And maybe there's the god of, of the farmland. So pray to them. And so who's your god? Maybe if you know who, where you're from, you'll know who to pray to. And then Jonah responds with some pretty powerful words. He says, I'm a Hebrew. And I worship Yahweh, the Lord of land and sea. Essentially saying, I worship Jehovah, Yahweh, and yeah, he's the God of the sea and the heavens and the air and the land, and he's, he's the God of everything. Saying the right things. In fact, he even said, I fear the Lord of heaven and earth. But is there anything about his actions that would suggest he fears the Lord of the heavens and the sea, of the land and the sea? No, he's trying to run away from him. He may be afraid of mistreatment, but he doesn't fear this God. So here's the sailors drilling down into the situation, and they discover God. And here's Jonah knowing God and pulling away. Those that fear God seek him with their questions and concerns. Secondly, those who fear God call out to God in their struggles. Again, what a contrast. The sailors cry out, what should we do? What do we do? And Jonah recognizes, well, I'm the cause of the storm, but he never calls out to God for deliverance. Did you notice that? I fear God, the Lord of land and sea. I'm not talking to him. Whereas the sailors say, come on, you got to talk to him. If you know him, talk to him. So he, who fears God? Jonah says, just, just throw me in the sea. He doesn't cry out to God for deliverance. He just resigns to destruction. God must not want me. My life isn't worth living. It's, it's better to die than to do what God's called me to do. You ever get to that point? If you have, don't think yourself alone. This is a common journey for people who pull away from God and try to hide those areas of their life from Him. They get to that point as you spiral down. You get to that point where you just feel it'd be better to die than to admit my need of God's restoration. Why would you ever think like that? Because there's an enemy who's roaming about, seeking whom he can destroy. And as Joe mentioned last week, whenever you feel like the door is open and circumstances make a way, don't assume that's God because the devil is a very good travel agent. He loves to design a path for you to turn away from God. He will open the door for you. So you can walk that way because where does he want you to go? He wants you to walk towards destruction. So Jonah doesn't fear God. The men had a greater fear of God. 
In fact, when Jonah said, just throw me in the sea because I'm the reason and it's better to just die than face what God's called me to do. He said, we don't want to destroy human life. If he's the God of land and sea, if this is Jehovah that's after you, he's the one that's birthed life into you, we don't want to offend him by stripping life away from you. So where reverent fear was shown by their crying out to God, and then as they learned of his sovereignty, they sought to respect his ways. A reverent fear will cause us to cry out to God when we begin to recognize our defiance. And when we trust in his mercy, in his grace, in his desire to give us life and purpose, then, then we'll cry out to him when we're exhausted from running from him. It's what we do when, when fear becomes to truly enter our heart, true fear of God. We'll say to him, my exhaustion has brought me to the point of submission. Or when our bitterness towards someone brings enough destruction to our own hearts, fear of God will cry out to him and say, God, as you've forgiven me, I forgive them. When fear of God starts to settle in your heart, then when we, we, we find ourselves empty from the pursuit of ambition and stuff and recognition, when we find ourselves empty, we'll hold up our hands to him and say, okay, I'm done chasing empty dreams. When our guilt is heavy from our belligerent pursuing an immoral relationship because we just feel that God's withholding something from me. So we press into that and say, no, I'm going after that. And you find yourself still missing out on that satisfying love. We'll hold out our hands to God out of fear and say, Father, forgive me for I've sinned. So reverent fear calls out to God in our struggle instead of justifying our failures. We justify our failures because we have this lie that's settled into our hearts that says God only delights in destroying people. Where God says, no, don't you know that even the wicked, I have no delight in destroying the wicked, but in their repentance so I can give them life. In fact, here's what he says through Ezekiel the prophet. He says, as I live, declares the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn away from his way and live. So turn, he says, turn back from your evil ways. Know that if you're struggling in the spiral today because you've been trying to hide from the presence of God, know that God isn't there just ready to squash you like a bug. No, that's the enemy. God instead longs for you to live. And he delights when you turn back to him. And he says, now I can bring you back up. And I don't want to get ahead of the story, but you know how it goes. Right after three days in the belly of the whale, the fish 
takes a turn at hurling Jonah. And Jonah lands on dry land. And God says again, now Jonah, arise and go to Nineveh. Jonah, I've been wanting to lift you up all along. You kept going down. You think that my will is not best. And so you go down, and I always want to bring you up. God, who loves to show mercy and grace, is seeking your attention. Maybe even today, there's people sitting in this room, and you just, you just are keeping possession of that area of your life because you just don't believe that God will love you if you're really honest with him. Or maybe you believe that God is against you, but know that he desires life for you. Third, people who respond to God in submissive worship fear him. The people that truly fear, to fear God respond with submissive worship. Look with, again in verse 15. So they picked up Jonah, hurled him into the sea, the sea ceased from its raging, and the men feared the Lord exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. So here's, here's the sailors. The culmination of their part of this story for them. They feared the Lord exceedingly. As they saw the sea cease, they made a sacrifice to the Lord, devoted themselves to him. So they moved in this journey from an ignorant fear, not even knowing who he was, to now learning about him. Now they experienced him personally. So their response is, then our lives are his. And they devoted themselves to him. Contrasted with Jonah, who knew God, heard from him, stubbornly refused to follow him, and refused to submit to God's authority in his life. And so he's thrown into the sea. So when we see God for who he is, as the sovereign, almighty Lord of all, and we recognize his grace that he's eager to demonstrate to us, we'll respond in awe and worship. And then it's time to get up. Now, let me, let me, let me pause here because there's a really beautiful picture. Do you remember when Jesus, after he performed some mighty deeds and the, the religious leaders came to him and they said, okay, if you really are the Messiah, give us a sign. This was right after Jesus fed 5,000 people with a little boy's lunch. He says, you want a sign? First of all, what was that? Secondly, I'll, I'll give you a sign. This is the sign I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you this sign of Jonah, who's three days in the, in the belly of the fish. So the Son of Man will be three days in the earth and will rise again. But Jonah's, but the sign of Jonah begins earlier. Because here's Jonah. It's kind of a, a reflection as you see Jonah's life. He's reflecting to a sign 
or he's being a sign of something that's in the past and something that's in the future. All right, so when Jonah was cast into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging, Jonah was, giving, was being a sign of something that God had said earlier. About 900 years earlier, God had spoken to the Hebrew people. He said, now I'm your God and you're my people. Abide by these laws. But I know you won't. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you this day. On the day of atonement, I'm going to give you a process whereby you can experience an atonement for your sin. On this day of atonement, the high priest will come and he'll cast lots. Does that sound familiar with Jonah and his story? I'll cast lots and it will point out a goat. Out of all these different goats, it'll point out which goat I want to use. So I'm going to pull this goat and I want the high priest to then take his hands and lay them on the goat and in, in so doing, symbolize all the sins of all the people, all the failures of the people for all this entire year going on to this goat. And then I want that goat taken out to the wilderness and hurled into the wilderness, never to be seen again. And the, the, the perishing of that goat will provide salvation for all of my people. And then Jonah points to something in the future where Jesus will come and he'll be betrayed, chosen by the Father. Soldiers will cast lots. Jesus will be nailed to a cross outside the city and all the sins of all the world will be placed on him. And be taken down from the cross, be laid in a tomb for three days and three nights, and rise again. And through that work of salvation, all the sins of the people that place their faith in him will be forgiven. So like the goat perished to save the nation, like Jonah, who would perish to save the sailors, and Jesus, who perished to save all that placed their faith in him. Jesus said, I'll give you a sign. It's the sign of Jonah. Sure, he came out of the fish, but remember, Jonah died to spare those that didn't know God, but now knew him and began to fear him. Do you fear God? I mean, it starts with really fearing him and revering him and his, his plan for redemption, where you would hear his truth, which you have today. Most of you have heard it before, but as, is it now a time for you to say, okay, I'm in enough running from him and pushing him aside. It's time for me now to receive that gift of salvation by placing my faith in the work that Jesus did on the cross for me. Would you receive him today? It begins with, I mean, this is where life with God begins, where you receive that gift of salvation 
that covers your sin, all that you did yesterday, today, and tomorrow, all your sin. His death paid for it all. He's the scapegoat. He was Jonah. We're the sailors. He offers salvation to you. And are you Jonah? You know, one of, one of God's sons or daughters, and, and maybe there's something he did that disappointed you. Maybe God made you mad. Maybe there's something that he didn't do, and you've decided to go down to Joppa. You've decided, okay, if you're going to be like that, then I'm out of here. And you think you can walk away. But if you're his son or you're his daughter, you just can't do that. Because he loves you too much to allow you just to reside down in the belly of the ship. And so he'll pursue you. Sometimes he'll bring a storm. Sometimes he'll bring a gift. God's resources are unlimited. Sometimes he'll have somebody that doesn't even believe in God say something that makes you realize that person is speaking the words of God in my life. I don't know what God's going to do. I'm just telling you, if you're his son or his daughter, he's going to pursue you. It is so much better to respond to him early rather than wait. Because no matter where you are, he's there to say, just come on, just get up. Because I've got a higher road for you. I've got a higher place for you. I haven't designed you to live in the cargo hold of a ship. I haven't designed you to live in the belly of a fish. But to walk in a new life. No, it's not going to be easy. Following Jesus is sometimes the most difficult journey you could walk. But it doesn't get any better. It's so full of joy and life and satisfaction. So if you're Jonah today and have been running away from him, just know that God wanted me to talk about Jonah today for you. So you could hear him say again, come to me. This is good. I have life for you. I don't delight in your destruction but in your life, and you're experiencing all that I've created you to be. Father, thank you for stories that are so old and yet so new. Thank you for speaking to us, Lord, as if today you want to be with us, as if today you have something special for us, Lord, as if you created today, this day, in 2022, to be a day for us to experience your grace and your mercy. Because, Lord, in fact, that is true. And as you look around this room, you see every heart. You know those that have never trusted you, and you're calling them today. I pray they'd respond to you. Lord, you see the hearts of those who have walked with you, and something has offended them, and they've turned away. And you're inviting them back. Lord, I pray they would not push you aside. That they wouldn't invite a stronger storm. But they would welcome your whisper into their heart. And they would respond to you. And begin to fear you again. Lord, examine our hearts right now. 
Show us, Lord, those areas where we've been stubbornly refusing to allow you to reign in our hearts. And give us the strength to respond. We want to turn our hearts to you, Lord. In every area of our life, we want to turn to you because we know there's mercy and grace there. So forgive us, Father. And then we begin with that. Lord, forgive me. Forgive me, Lord, for walking away, for thinking I could flee from your presence. Forgive me for doubting your love and the strength of your love that you wouldn't pursue me if I walked away. And so I stop running right now, Lord. I turn around and I turn back to you. worship team is going to lead us in a song and I'd love for us just to allow that song to be our prayer. It's an old old hymn. It calls us to no matter who we are or where we are, it calls us to turn our eyes to him. So let's let's do that. When we sing a song after we spend time in the Word, it's always a time to respond. And I don't know exactly what God wants you to do. Maybe, maybe some should just leave where they're standing in a moment and come to the front and just use this front row just as a place, kind of that altar where you just give yourself to Him. Maybe some would just want to sit right back down and talk to Jesus. Maybe some would want to come to the front and get on your knees and humble yourself before the presence of God because it's your pride that has kept you from his grace. And so you want to take that posture of humility and say, Father, I give up. I give up my running, my fleeing, my stubborn refusal to even acknowledge you. I give up. And I accept your invitation to come home. Let's stand together. And let's respond. I want you just to do what God's calling you to do. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.